0: Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. You're going to pick up with me in verse 15. I'm going to start in verse 14. It says this Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15 is where you're going to pick up with me. Look at this now. It says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. I feel like that's a verse for us today, isn't it? Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then Joshua says this, but as for me and my house, read this with me, church, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, make that a declaration today. As for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the great honor that we have to open up your word, to read it, to hear from your Holy Spirit as he guides us and leads us through this uh, this topic today, through your scripture today. May you work. May you move. God, I pray that you would bring peace in our lives in a time where, in all honesty, there's so much chaos. Lord, we love you. We serve you give us favor and grace today. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. Well, hey, good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Uh, I know that we're still caught up in this whole quarantine thing. We're, we're making strides to be able to meet back in person very soon, and I'm excited about that. But uh, I'm thankful for you still engaging, still uh, being a part of this platform, still still doing church in your homes. And, and I think today, as we walk through week three of this installment of Family Pandemic. Uh, Today, we have a a sermon entitled Prepper. Prepper. Now, I don't know if you know what a prepper is. A prepper is somebody who, quite honestly, um, you know, is prepping for the end of days, right? They're maybe saving up a lot of water or maybe saving up a lot of rice or beans or, I don't know, maybe you're stashing some McDonald's in your basement. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, maybe you built a bunker somewhere, but a prepper is somebody who's doing that. And so in, in our sermon today, the title is actually Prepper, okay? So why don't you look to the person sitting next to you, your left, your right, maybe it's your cat, I don't know. But just say the sermon title, which is Prepper. Yes, Prepper. Um, and when we start out this, this sermon today from Joshua twenty four fifteen, this mantra, right, that Joshua said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I'm sure if I was in some of your homes right now, you might have that written somewhere on the wall, or maybe you have a plaque that says that, or a picture frame that says that. Uh, But I I think it's important. In fact, I think this passage, this understanding, is the foundation from which we build a healthy home. This is not just the foundation, it's it's the mandate that we are called to live out, amen? This must be, and I'm going to use some strong language here, but this has to be the battle cry that echoes in our homes. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to be honest with you. Too many of our homes right now, we serve the gods of, I don't know, indulgence, the gods of maybe tolerance, the gods of entertainment and culture. But as for me and my house, as for you and your house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, I'm going to be honest. We got to get some grit, church. I know I'm coming out the gate hot, but you gotta get some grit. You gotta get some backbone in a day, in time in which we live. You gotta get some attitude. You gotta get some volume, because when it comes to leaving, leaving a legacy and building a family, it begins with you standing strong and saying, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Amen. Maybe, maybe you're like, "Okay, okay, whoa, why?" I'll tell you why. Maybe write this down. We're a church that worships not only in spirit but also in in truth, here's why we have to do this. <laughs> because the lives that we lead as parents will determine the legacy that we leave. Let me just say that again. Maybe write this down. The lives that we lead will determine the legacy that we leave. I hear people speak all the time about leaving a legacy. Well, he's going to leave a legacy or this legacy that she's going to leave. But, but here's the truth. Every single person leaves a legacy. I don't know if you know that or not. We all leave a legacy. It's just whether or not you're leaving the right kind of legacy. Uh, many of you come from a legacy of a brokenness. Many of you, and in, 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 uh, you've come from a, a legacy of heartache or many, many will leave a legacy behind of debt or addiction, right? Few leave a legacy that truly, truly matters. Everybody though, we all leave legacies. There, there's so many legacies that we put so much emphasis on though, right? In our culture, in our day. Uh, I mean, we put a lot of, of emphasis on who hits the most home runs, Major League Baseball, or, or, or who's the highest scorer and, 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 and you know, that kind of a legacy, or, or maybe the legacy of they won a Grammy or they won an Oscar. We put a lot of cultural emphasis on those types of legacies. But what we need to understand is that one day the sports records will be broken, better songs will be written, hopefully, (laughs) better actors will come along, and those legacies will be done away with, they will be wiped away. If you listen to me this morning, hear this, there is only one type of legacy that will stand strong and echo in the halls of eternity, and that is the legacy of the gospel. Truly, dad, mom, There is no better investment that you could leave for your family. Is there a better legacy that you could leave planted in the hearts of your children than a legacy of the gospel? And and so as we walk through, like I said, our third installment today of family pandemic, my sermon is entitled Prepper. Because we gotta prep, right? We gotta prep this, we gotta prepare this, we gotta get ready. Gosh, if there's if, if this isn't seen in our world right now, worldview run amok, people at each other's throats, disunity, not only in our, in our government, in our, our country, but also even in our churches, in between people divided by skin color or even jobs. Man, we got to know what we believe, why we believe, and pass that down to our children. And so when it comes to prepping our family, we must build with the legacy in mind, In fact, I've referenced this before, but I think it bears repeating. One of the terms I like to use in prepping our family or building is is to use this idea of building a fortress family. Okay, Building a fortress mentality, a fortress family. We don't build strong fortresses, by the way, for ourselves, but for those who come after us those who live out their days in this fortress. And with every passing generation, our legacy, the legacy of the gospel that we have left behind, it bolsters the walls, it, it thickens the gates, and, and, and it solidifies the foundation built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. All right, let's just take a look at scripture, okay? And we're gonna be in the book of Samuel. Okay, we're gonna be in the Old Testament today. We've got a bunch of scripture to run through. And I would encourage you in your sea life groups and your small groups, you're going to walk through some of these passages. And I think it's really important that even you as a family read through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel as well, clearly. Um, but we're going to read through a bunch today. And I want to look at the implications of leaving a healthy legacy, the implications of leaving a, a, a not-so-healthy legacy. i got to give you a, a little bit of a background, okay? The background here, the characters in context, right? You've got Hannah, you've got Samuel, uh, Hannah's son Samuel, you've got Eli, uh, then you also have Hophni and Phinehas, fun names to say, Hophni and Phinehas. And uh, there's a lot of difference between these individuals, but basically Samuel is a church kid, <laughs> right? And then you've also got Hophnis and uh, Phinehas, Hophni and Phinehas as well, church kids. And uh, let's pick up in 1 Samuel chapter two, okay? 1 Samuel chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 12 and read to verse 21. It says this, follow along with me if you could. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. Man, I'd love to make it into the Bible, but not that way. (laughs) They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan and kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, "No." You must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. That's somebody who's hungry. Thus, the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. You get that so far, right? They're very, they're very disrespectful to the way that God has asked them to go about offering these sacrifices, taking meat for themselves. Let's keep going. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen Ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year, when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, and say, May the Lord and Hannah, and may the Lord give you children by this woman, for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the young man Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So you've got Hophni, you've got Phineas, you've got Samuel, okay? And and these guys were, these kids were the equivalent, you could say, kinda to the you know, modern-day church kids, okay? Now, I've said that a couple times. Some of you might not know what I mean when I say church kid, okay? That's not a slam. I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. I grew up running the halls, right? And and there could be a little bit of confusion about what a church kid is. Um, So if you want to know uh, what a church kid is, here's a couple things, okay? Um, and you can gauge whether or not you're a church kid. you ready? if If you know what a flannel graph is, you you might be a church kid. <laughs> okay? If you've ever been told not to run in a sanctuary because it's God's house, you might be a church kid. <laughs> if the term potluck is in your vocabulary anywhere, you might be a church kid. if If you've ever broken into the Sunday school superintendent's office during a big church to steal VBS candy, you're probably a church kid. If you know what Sunday school is, or what a Sunday school superintendent is, or what VBS is, or refer to the main worship gathering as big church, you might be a church kid. If you've ever, here's one, if you've ever called the roll up yonder, you're a church kid. If you've ever used any of the following phrases guard your heart guard her heart well bless their heart don't defraud her true love waits that was a total god thing oh oh no that's secular music (laughs) and uh give them traveling mercies i have an unspoken request we had great fellowship he's really watered it down today pastor she's on fire or surround them with a hedge of protection you are definitely, most definitely a church kid, okay? If you get excited about the term sword drill, you're a church kid. Okay, you, you get the point here. Uh, there are terms that we are very familiar with. It's like this foreign culture, right, to a degree. Well, Hopney, Phineas, and Samuel, they are church kids, definitely church kids for sure. They grew up in it. Let's keep continuing in in this. Verse 22 says this, Now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to Israel and how they laid with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And he said to them, he said to his kids, Hey, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Strong implications there. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So we we see here Eli rebuking his sons. But to be honest with you, that's all Eli does. He just rebukes them. He takes no further action. He doesn't pull them from their places of influence. He doesn't fire them. He does the equivalent of a, hey, what are you doing, guys? Stop it. Like, don't do that anymore. It's making me look bad. He's not being a good father. He doesn't follow up with them at all. And you can read in your own time God's reaction to Eli's unwillingness to follow through with his sons. In verses 27 through 36, God lays it out for Eli what he is going to do. He's angry with Eli, and he says that he will honor people that honor him and that he will bring judgment upon people that do not honor him. God says, unless, he basically says this, Eli, unless your sons turn from their way, I will bring death to both of your sons on the same day. And yet Eli still doesn't course correct. Still doesn't remove his sons from leadership. That's important. Jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 4, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 4, Israel is under attack from the Philistines, and this is where we pick up. Look at this. Starting in verse, we're going to start in verse uh, 10. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled. And every man to his home, and there was a very great slaughter for the fellow of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers, and they asked, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons, Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, of, of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. They both died the same day. And, and let's keep on reading. It says this, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day. With his clothes torn, with, the, with dirt on his head, he's, he's repenting, he's in mourning. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, watching, for his heart trembled. For the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said that Israel has fled from the Philistines. And there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Look at this now. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For he, for the man, Eli, was old and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. What God had said would be Eli's legacy now came to pass. Because he chose to not obey. This is the point here. This is one of the points. Eli did a great job at work. He did a wonderful job at work, godly work. He did a horrible job at home. Because Eli only parented his children. He never led them. He never led his children. He never he never thought about the legacy that he was leading. He parented his kids, but he never led them. And I want you to know this, to prep a fortress family, we must, here's the word now, pastor our families. Eli did a good job pastoring people, but a poor job pastoring his family. A good job pastoring and shepherding other individuals, but a very poor job pastoring and shepherding, shepherding his own kids. And what I'm telling you is that to prep a fortress family, we must pastor our families. Dad, Mom, stop parenting alone. Your children need you to pastor them. You must pastor your family. The definition of parenting is the process of taking care of children until they're old enough to take care of themselves. But the definition of pastoring is that a Christian ministers having spiritual charge over a congregation or group. You must take a different approach. We must as parents and our understanding and talking about a family that we're gonna have a legacy of the gospel with and children that are gonna rise up and and know God and love God and serve God and continue on that legacy, we must pasture. We must pasture them. Why is it that you bring your children to church when we were having normal church? Why is it that you would bring your children to church in hopes that they will learn the Bible? Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that backwards? Shouldn't our church only reinforce and add validation to what you have already taught them about Scripture in your own home? Pastor your family, Dad. Instead, what do we do? We drop off our kids hoping that, that, that someone will teach them what we haven't because we are spiritually lazy. And you might say, well, whoa, well, whoa, I, I don't know the Bible that well, I, I don't know how to handle it. Learn it! Learn Scripture! Learn not only how to engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but learn how to disciple your children to lead them to Jesus Christ. We should be doing that. I don't know. You only have to be one chapter ahead of your kid to be able to teach them scripture. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about God. Tell them about creation. And if you have questions, talk to your Sea Life leader, talk to your group, talk to your pastor. Ask them, how do I pastor my home? How do I do this? I get so, I'm a little fired up. I've got to be honest with you. i got to take a break. I'm, I'm a little fired up. I get so upset about this failure in our churches today. And maybe it's because I was a youth pastor at one point in time, right? Parents love blaming youth pastors because their kids don't want anything to do with church after they graduate. Let me ask you, is that the youth pastor's fault? Is that the pastor's fault? Or is it the parent's fault? Whose fault is that, Dad? Whose fault is that, Mom? What I think happens is that your kids show up to church, learn what it means to be a Christian from Scripture. Oh, Hang tight with me. If you're still watching, this, this might hurt a little bit. I say it in love. What I think happens a lot of the time is that your kids show up to church, learn what it means to be a Christian from Scripture, go home and see the hypocrisy of their parents refusing to live it out. And they become so disgusted and want nothing to do with God. Pastor your family, dad. Pastor your family, mom. You're accountable for them. Your home is your church. Your family is your congregation. Your kids are your legacy. Pastor your family. Now, shortly after Eli's death, Samuel is instituted as the high priest over Israel. And he does a great job. But then we see something interesting in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. Look at this. Chapter 8. Jump over there with me. Starting in verse 1. It says this. When Samuel became old, so he's gotten old now, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. There were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. This is interesting because we find that just like Eli, Samuel had done a great job at work, but clearly a bad job at home. Now, This is interesting because if what you do determines your legacy, then then, then you not only hold the future of your children, but also potentially hold the future of your children's children in your hands as well. And since Eli modeled working hard at work and not working hard at home, this is what Samuel had done. And so now Samuel has a choice. What is he going to do? Will he continue in this generational curse? Will he disobey God? Will he put his sons before God? That's, a, that's something, that's a whole other sermon, by the way, putting our family before God, right? What does Samuel do? Look at what he does in verse 4. Let's see if he differentiates or uh, goes a different course from Eli. It says this in verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a, a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Notice what he did. He prayed. He talked with God. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Samuel's sons, not doing a good job. The nation comes to Samuel, says we want a king. Samuel goes to God. God says do what they ask you to do. Now Samuel has a choice. Is Samuel going to elevate his sons over God, or is he going to obey the voice of God? Samuel does something amazing. Look at this in verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. What does this mean? Samuel was obedient. Samuel was obedient. He changed the legacy. Samuel could have said, no, this is what Eli did. This is what I'm going to do. But instead, he changed his legacy by obeying God. And as a result, Samuel eventually anointed David as king. And do you know who the great, 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 great grandchild of that, that man was, of David? Jesus. Because Samuel chose to obey God, Jesus Christ became a part of his legacy. Do we get the significance of that? This is why scripture says that we are all without excuse. Here's what I mean. Listen to me. Listen, listen. Listen, please. Your daddy's legacy isn't an excuse to not change. The way that your father was, the way that your mother trained you, raised you, it's not an excuse for the legacy that you choose to leave. Your legacy will be played out in your children. Can I just speak to you for a moment today? Just because your dad was an alcoholic doesn't mean you have to be. You can change that legacy. Just because your father is on his third marriage doesn't mean that you have to do the same. Don't you know you can change that legacy? Just because your father abused your mother doesn't mean you have to abuse your wife. Just because your father never recognized Jesus Christ as his Savior doesn't mean that that has to be your legacy. You can change your legacy. You can change your children's destiny. You can leave them, lead them down a new road to travel, one that will arrive at the gospel legacy, the legacy of the gospel. And a legacy of the gospel is the best legacy. Amen? Here's why. It's a legacy of freedom. It's a legacy of hope. It's a legacy of mercy. It's a legacy of grace, a legacy of love, a legacy of forgiveness and blessing and steadfastness, a legacy of peace, a legacy of righteousness, a legacy of salvation. Do I just need to keep going? Filled with peace that passes all understanding. It is a legacy of Jesus Christ that we could leave, can leave, should leave our children if we would just take the time to pastor them and not just parent them. It has to begin with you though, dad. It has to begin with you, mom. You must choose to obey God and pastor your family. There is almost nothing more important than this in the entire world. You can't take anything with you. The wealth that you have worked so hard for, the home that you have fought so diligently to get, the car that you have slaved over just to own, the inheritance you've worked so hard to build to leave your children, that's all well and that's all good. I'm not speaking down about that, but I'm saying if you are so, so consumed and focused on that, but you don't even give a thought to focusing on pastoring your family in a way that will leave a legacy for the gospel, you have left your children nothing. 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 Now, our time is up for today. Next week, We're going to spend time talking about how to actually go about practically building a fortress family where a legacy of the gospel takes root and grows in our family. I'm excited about it. Don't miss next week as we talk practically about this. I want to encourage you to make sure that we're all gathered together as a family to listen, to watch next week because there's going to be practical implications for all of us. For today, would you just pray with me? Uh, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to open up your word. I pray that we would pasture our families, that we wouldn't just parent our children, but that we would pasture our homes, that we would prep, <laughs> Lord, a fortress family, that we would be busy. Lord, we know that the days are evil. We know that we live in dark times. But God, that does not mean that our homes need to be invaded and, and crushed and walked on. We don't have to walk in fear we can walk in truth and in power, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world part of the way that we do that lord is by investing in our children investing the gospel sowing the seeds of the gospel into them give us strength to do that today be in our conversations this week in our small groups with our spouses convict us and challenge us we love you in jesus name we pray